Welcome back to the Joseph Carlson Show. We have a lot of news to get into. Amazon went shopping this morning. They picked up a healthcare company, a membership-based healthcare company, for $3.9 billion. Now, this is a company that I haven't heard of before. It's called One Medical. We're going to look into this, see what it is, see what it does, and we're going to assess this company's financial situation and see how it will impact Amazon. We also had Domino's earnings this morning, and they weren't good. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. They were not good earnings. In fact, I'm surprised that the company's in the green today because I didn't see a lot of positives in this earnings report. Now, we'll go into the earnings report itself and I'll highlight what I think is the most concerning parts of it. And on this episode, I want to talk about high quality companies. And I know this is a subject you might accuse me of speaking on a lot, buying high quality companies. But I want to do something a little bit different where instead I refer to this study from 2013 that looked at comparing quality companies that have high quality compared to junk companies. They put these companies in two different baskets, one with quality companies, one with junk companies. They compared their performance against each other, and surprise, surprise, one group of them dramatically outperformed the other. So we're going to look over this and why it ties in to my investing strategy of investing in high-quality companies. So as always, we have a lot to get into in this episode. If you like this type of content, make sure to like the video. That helps support the channel by showing it to other people. It's a recommendation system. So every time you thumbs up the video, you're basically saying, YouTube, show this to other people as well. You can also subscribe and hit the bell icon so you get notifications on your phone. Now let's go ahead and jump into the portfolio. We're now at $31,000 in gains, making up for some of the losses we've taken on this year with the fall in the stock market. This portfolio has rebounded incredibly well, making up for a lot of the losses in a short amount of time. In the past five days, we are up 4.57%. That's $15,100. In the past five days, the S&P 500 is up 3.74. So we've beat it over the past week. In the past 30 days, we're up 9%. That's $28,500. In the past one month, the S&P 500 is up 5.87%. So we've beat the S&P 500 by a big extent over the past 30 days, which has really helped our returns here. Now we can continue to go back in greater timelines like the past 90 days. From April 22nd, this portfolio has also outperformed the S&P 500 by a few percentage points. And that's basically how it's been working. It outperforms by a couple percentage points per year, which is the goal. It's not to outperform to a dramatic extent in one year by some lucky long shot. I'm not trying to hit a home run and invest in the next 10x Palantir or Tesla that's going to go to the moon. What I want to have are steady, reliable, consistent performance that outperforms the index and total returns over a very long period of time. And I do that by investing in companies that have factor weightings towards factors that historically have led to outperformance. And I'll go more into those specific factors that lead to outperformance later when we get into that quality versus junk study. But for now, we can go ahead and look at my portfolio and the performance of these companies on a sector basis. If I go and filter by the one month here, my individual stock picks are really what's what's doing well in my portfolio. For example, the tech category is up 9.5% over the past 30 days. That is outperforming the S&P 500. The restaurant category is up 13.6%. That's outperforming the S&P 500. The consumer category is up 11%. Huge outperformance over the S&P 500. And then the core category, which is my SCHD ETF, is the laggard here, 1.35% which is underperforming the S&P 500 by a large extent. So this actually detracted from my monthly performance. Not a big deal, but my performance over the past 30 days has been led by my individual companies. Real estate, which is Vici, is up 11.5%. 
huge outperformance. The financials underperformed with 1.69%, but they still did slightly better than the ETF. And then the industrials, which was Canadian Pacific, was up 5%. If you want to see every holding in each one of these categories, you can do so by clicking the dividend portfolio link in the description below. Now, before we get into my specific factors I look for in companies and that study on high quality companies, I want to look at some of the top news of the day. Amazon just announced that they went shopping. They must have used the one click buy button to buy this company One Medical for $3.9 billion. For most of us, $3.9 billion would seem like a lot of money. For Amazon, that's not a lot of money. That's a pretty mediocre sized deal, a small deal. $3.9 billion is not going to affect them in the long term to a huge extent. But it's still enough money that I want to actually figure out what this company is, what they do, and the reasons that Amazon would want to purchase them. Here's a promo for this company. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That's why we redesigned the doctor's office for real life. You can book a same or next day appointment in person or remote. Get 24-7 care over video chat at no extra cost with our app and request prescriptions in just a few taps. And with all that, you can spend more time enjoying life. That's care for who you want to be. One Medical is a membership-based, digital-first, primary healthcare company. And like many of the healthcare companies, their goal is very ambitious. They want to disrupt medicine in the United States. They want to make it more efficient, better for the consumer, cheaper across the board, all of these great ambitious things. But as we've seen in the recent past, this rarely works out. Medicine is such an undisruptible industry. Companies have tried, even great companies like Apple, Microsoft, Berkshire, and Amazon to disrupt healthcare, and it just hasn't worked out. On CNBC, they went through all the recent attempts these companies have done to disrupt medicine in the past. But Amazon, uh, we thought they were going to disrupt the uh, pharmacy benefit managers. Right, they, they did not. We thought they might disrupt the insurers. They, they did didn't. not. We thought they might disrupt the drug distributors. They did not. They did not. Pill deal. Remember that? We sat here and talked about, whoa, yeah. I haven't heard a thing. Even oh, Whole Foods. Supermarkets. Even Whole Foods. Yeah. What have They're they done? Disrupt that. They've just done it's supermarkets. Amazon Web Services is the engine there. All these companies have been trying to disrupt healthcare for a long time with very little success. And my initial reaction on this is that this is one more unlikely attempt. I think the chances of success for this to have a meaningful level of disruption in medicine is low, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Amazon will continue to swing for the fences. They do long shots all the time. It's part of their business model. They're okay failing and trying over and over again until they finally get it to work. Now, in the meantime, this will have an effect on Amazon's finances as they own this company. It will impact their cash inflows and outflows. And we can look at that by looking at the company they're acquiring on Qualtrim. This software is included as part of the Patreon membership, and it shows us the insides of the company. Right here, we have One Life Healthcare. This is the company they're buying. Today, the stock price is up 68.9%. So it's a good day for these shareholders. If we look at the price that Amazon paid, it may look like they purchased the company at a huge premium because it was trading at $10 and Amazon's paying $18 per share for it. But if we zoom out just a little, 
it doesn't look so bad. This company traded all the way up to $57 a share. The investors buying it here were getting ripped off. But Amazon purchased it, or they're purchasing it, at $18 per share. So right around here. Not the worst price. They are paying a premium, but it's not like they're paying what investors were paying just a year ago. So I don't think this is such a bad deal in terms of the agreement here. But they're purchasing a company that across the board is a startup-like growth company that is very poor in fundamentals. Look at the fundamentals of this company. They have no earnings to speak of, no P.E. ratio, and their free cash flow yield is minus 7%, meaning they're losing free cash every single quarter. We look at the revenue growth. They are growing revenue, but every other metric seems to be moving in a negative direction. The EBITDA is going down. The free cash flow is going down. The net income is going down. The earnings is going down. The balance sheet has more debt than cash, although that's not a big deal to Amazon. They have a lot of cash on their balance sheet. And the shares outstanding have been going up because they're unprofitable and they've needed to do dilution to fund their business. Across the board, it's clear that Amazon is not purchasing this company because of their financials. They're not purchasing it because of their balance sheet or the cash flows. So this is not a deal like Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard, which is accretive to their cash flows over time. This company will have cash outflows for Amazon. It's another free cash flow negative thing added to Amazon's balance sheet. Two quarters ago, they did $92 million of free cash flow loss. Last quarter, they did $74 million. So if they do somewhere between $200 to $400 million, of negative free cash flow, that's another additional drag on Amazon's free cash flow. And if you've been paying attention to Amazon's free cash flow, it's already not in good shape. Amazon is having negative after negative free cash flow quarter, and they need to get this back into the positive to reinstill confidence to investors. So obviously Amazon isn't buying this company for its financials. They're buying it as a strategic acquisition to get into healthcare. That's the ultimate goal here. And I still like that Amazon's trying to make these investments. It probably won't work. My guess is that this will be another thing that doesn't do exactly what it says it's going to do. And I only say that because I know how difficult it is to disrupt healthcare. It's so regulated. There's so much red tape. There's so many barriers to entry that it's a tough industry even for Amazon to get into. So my initial take on this is I don't think it's going to work out well for Amazon, but I'm still glad they're trying because I think eventually if they take enough shots, One of these eventually will work out. Now, before moving on to Domino's earnings report, I have to do a quick shout out for today's sponsor of this video, which is FTX US. They're a large cryptocurrency exchange that's sponsoring a lot of big figures. Shaquille O'Neal, Steph Curry, the Miami Heat Arena is named after them now. Now, I don't invest in cryptocurrency, and that's okay because FTX does more than just cryptocurrency. They do NFTs and they do stocks. I have a portfolio here that I'm building up with Amazon. I'm trying to buy this company on a dip, but it just continues to go up. So I've been waiting patiently to add more to it. But the interface is pretty simple. You can buy and sell anytime the market's open. There's no payment for order flow. It's part of FINRA and SIPC insured. And it's currently in beta, but they're opening it up to more and more people. So sign up your account now. It's completely free. It takes two minutes to do. There's a link in the pinned comment below. Use the refer code Carlson. That lets them know that I sent you, it helps support the channel, and it gives you a $10 credit when you do your first $100 trade. So give it a try and let me know what you think. Now, moving on from Amazon, there was one company in my portfolio, which is Domino's, which posted earnings this morning. The earnings, in my opinion, were terrible, and I'm surprised the stock is in the green today. The headline's not bad. It says Domino's earnings miss expectation as pizza chain cites tough labor market, higher costs. 
That's all accurate, but I think it understates how bad these earnings are. And the actual earnings per share miss wasn't terrible. $2.82 versus $2.91 expected. And they beat on their revenue by just a hair. But this is not the main issue. If you dive into the actual earnings report, there's not a lot to like here. The sales growth was only 1.5%. So their actual revenue growth is very slow. The US same-store sales declined 2.9%, another quarter of declining same-store sales growth in the US. And then even more concerning, now they're declining in same-store sales growth outside of the US by 2.2%, breaking a streak of 112 consecutive quarters. Their global net store growth was 233, which is very fast. This is one of the benefits of Domino's. One of the bright sides is they have very low frictional costs in opening up stores. They run a franchise model similar to Universal Music Group, where they just license out their IP. So they can open up hundreds of stores per quarter and grow their business rapidly with very low capital intensity. That's the highlights of this report, but I don't think that's the most concerning part. I think the most concerning part is how their revenue is actually growing. Revenue increased by 32.7 million or 3.2% in the second quarter of 2022 as compared to the second quarter of 2021 due to primarily higher supply chain revenues attributable to increases in market basket prices to stores. So the way that they're primarily increasing their revenue is simply by charging their franchise members more for the same groups of foods. They increased the food price to their franchise members by 15% and that's how they grew their revenue. It wasn't by growing the business, by growing the locations, by growing the sales. It was by charging their franchise members more. And I don't think that that's the best way to be growing revenues. It's certainly within their business model. They do run a franchise business. They can control pricing and they can put pressure on the franchise members, but they need to grow revenue by growing sales, by selling more pizzas, by opening up more locations. And they're not doing that right now. So this is the most concerning thing in this report. But I also think it's temporary. A lot of the things that Domino's is facing with labor shortages, with inflation, with tough comparables, I think almost all of them are temporary in nature. Over the next two years, I expect a lot of these to be ironed out. So as of right now, I'm still bullish. I still think it will outperform the S&P 500 and I don't intend on selling my shares. Now, I want to dive into high-quality companies, and I know this is like deja vu. If you listen to my channel, you might be saying, Joseph, you don't you don't shut up about high-quality companies. I talk about them frequently, and it's true. I talk about companies like Apple and that they're high-quality in nature, and I determine the quality not by the popularity of the company, not by what's being hyped or talked about on Reddit, social media, across YouTube. I talk about quality in terms of business model, moat, profitability, balance sheet, and the way that they return cash to the shareholder. Companies that do lots of share buybacks like Apple or raising amounts of dividend payments. In my opinion, that's what defines a high quality company. And I've built my portfolio in aggregate as a collection of high quality companies, from Apple to companies like Microsoft, to companies like Costco, to companies like Vici. Across the board, what I've looked for is quality. And I came across a study that further reinforces all of these qualities and how they lead to long-term outperformance. The study is called Quality Minus Junk, and it was published in October 9th of 2013 by multiple economists. The study's findings were that high-quality stocks have high-risk-adjusted returns. Indeed, a Quality Minus Junk, QMJ, factor that goes long high-quality stocks and shorts low-quality stocks earns significant risk-adjusted returns in the U.S. and globally across 24 countries. So what they find in the study is that the quality companies outperform the junk companies 
over a long period of time, to a huge extent, across multiple areas of the globe, 24 countries and within the US. But that gives us a question here. What do they define as quality and what do they define as junk? In order to make the differentiation here, we have to know what those terms actually mean. Because to a lot of people, incorrectly, quality means popular. If it's unpopular or boring and not talked about, then it's junk. And that is completely incorrect and not how they define quality or junk. They give five different pieces of criteria to define what quality means in a company. The first one is profitability. This is a factor that I highlight in every single company I invest in. Incessantly, I talk about the profitability. Profitability is the profits per unit of book value. All else equal, more profitable companies should command a higher stock price. We measure profits in several ways, including gross profits, margins, earning, accruals and cash flows, and a focus on stock's average rank across these metrics. So they look at multiple metrics of profitability and rank them across those different metrics. The next one is growth. And the first thing you think of with growth is revenue growth, but that's not the type of growth they're talking about here. Investors should also pay a higher price for stocks with growing profits. So they're not concerned about growing revenue. That's not even a factor. The concern is growing net income, growing profits. We measure growth as the prior five-year growth in each of our profitability measures. Now, the third one is another one that a lot of investors scoff at, they argue with, they don't think it's that important until their stocks start to fall 50 to 70%, and it's safety. Investors should pay a premium for safer companies, all else being equal. So one of the ways to know whether or not a stock is technically safer is how volatile it trades. That's one technical way of measuring it. But they also look at fundamental-based measures of safety, which include low leverage, low volatility of profitability, and low credit risk. So they try to measure the safety of a stock as one of the quality attributes as well. And then the final one, which is a factor that I talk about all the time, to the point where people say, Joseph, you talk about this over and over again, which is payout. The payout ratio is a fraction of the profits paid to shareholders. This characteristic is determined by management and can be seen as a measure of shareholder friendliness. Management's agency problems are diminished if free cash flows are reduced through higher dividends. That's right. If a company pays out a dividend to you on a quarterly basis, management's agency problems, i.e. their chance of making mistakes with reinvesting the money, are diminished. Instead, you get a guaranteed return through the dividend. We also consider the net payout as well as issuance and dilution companies that do share buybacks. Payout is an example of how each of these measures is about their marginal effect. All else being equal, indeed, if a higher payout is associated with lower future profitability or growth, then this should not command a higher price. But a higher payout should be positive when we hold all other factors constant. So they look at companies that have high payout ratios. They return a lot of money back to the shareholder over ones that try to reinvest it, and in some cases make huge mistakes with their reinvestment. These are the factors that define a high-quality company according to the study. Companies that are profitable. Companies that grow their earnings on a consistent basis. Companies that have low beta and volatility. They have low variance in their earnings and profitability. And they have low leverage. And companies that pay out a large amount of their profits back to the shareholders rather than trying to reinvest it. And the findings of the study are substantial. They say we construct a quality minus junk factor with a methodology that follows that of Famine French in 1993. The factor is long the top 30% high quality stocks and short the bottom 30% junk stocks 
within the universe of large stocks and similar within the universe of small stocks. The quality minus junk factor, as well as its large cap only and small cap only components, delivers positive returns in 23 out of 24 countries that we study and highly significant risk-adjusted returns in our long and broad sample. Quality minus junk portfolios have negative market, value, and size exposures, positive alpha, relatively small residual risk, and quality minus junk returns are high during market downturns, presenting a challenge to risk-based explanations relying on covariance with market crisis. Rather than exhibiting crash risk, if anything, quality minus junk exhibits a mild positive convexity. That is, it benefits from flight to quality during crisis. So not only does it outperform during normal times, but during times where the market crashes, it actually increases in outperformance because of this idea of flight to quality during crisis. And we've certainly seen that. Over the past year, the companies that have lacked these quality factors have been destroyed as investors have moved money aggressively out of these funds into companies that have these quality factors. They've held up much better during this past year's downturn. So I hope that helps answer the question of why I focus on quality companies. And again, reminding you that quality does not mean popular. It doesn't mean flashy products. It doesn't mean big, ambitious goals in the future. Quality meaning profitability, balance sheet, low volatility, high consistent earnings growth, and companies that do well during market downturns. My portfolio consists largely of those type of companies, and that's what's led to its outperformance over the past year. And anytime I'm doing research on future companies to own, it's all with those factors in mind. So that's all for now. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'll have more content out later. Be sure to subscribe to the channel, hit the thumbs up icon, which recommends this video to more people, and make sure to click the bell icon so you get a notification from YouTube. I'll see you in the next one.